0: Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au We are now going to move to the other part of our service where we come and open up God's Word to worship and praise Him through the preaching of His Word. We've been given a Bible that God has inspired by His Holy Spirit which is uh, living and active and that Word speaks to us today just as much as it was written 2,000 years ago and uh, was written then for the instruction of people back then. It's also applying to us today. We've been through the, going through the book of Genesis over the last few weeks. And uh, we are now up to Genesis 31 and 33, uh, tracing out the life of uh, Abraham, Isaac and now a bit more of Jacob. We looked at Jacob's uh, wife Leah last week and this week we're going to spend more time focusing on Jacob. Now just to get us a handle where we are today in this, uh, just bear this in mind and, and place yourself here. It's 10.30 at night and you've just gone to sleep and you wake 45 minutes later and then your mind starts to kick into overdrive. It's now 2 a.m., three and a half hours later, and you're still thinking flat out. You see 4 a.m., and you feel like you're in a wrestle in your mind. There's thoughts that are bouncing all around your brain and you can't sleep. Your mind is just going as fast as it possibly can. And you ask yourself, what are you doing here, God? And you tell yourself, as you consider the circumstances you're in and what your mind is thinking on, my life wasn't meant to work out like this. Where are you, God, in the midst of all this as you lose your sleep that night? We're going to find Jacob in a similar situation and a sleepless night. But it's a night where he'll never forget, where he truly encounters God. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis 32. And we're going to read from... um, Verses 22 through to 32. Starting in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen, the fa- I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and with this uh, great privilege to open up your living word. I ask and pray now, Holy Spirit, you're the author of this word, inspiring men across all generations, across thousands of years to write a unified document, a unified story of God's glory. And I pray as we think about Jacob, as we think about this encounter where he wrestled With God, we ask and pray that you would open up our hearts in the wrestling that we go through as well and that, Lord, through that today you would cause us to see a deeper revelation as you work in our lives through extreme and often painful circumstances. Lord, we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God's made a gracious promise to Abraham that from him would come a nation from whom the whole whole world will be blessed. Now Isaac is the promised son born to Abraham and then Jacob is the promised one who is born to Isaac to keep carrying this promise through. And through Jacob, yes, the promise will continue according to God's purposes. God has a plan in place that will see forgiveness and salvation offered to all those who would believe in Jesus Christ the seed of Abraham, the coming Messiah. Jacob is the one that God has chosen, but he's on quite a journey now. Abraham, his uh, grandfather, has died. Isaac's still alive at this point. But Jacob is the one that we're tracing out on this incredible journey that he has before him. Jacob's journey, though, has uh, has him right at the centre of everything in his life. Jacob's life's all about him. His name means to strive, like he'll do anything to, the, to struggle to the top of Jacob's world. He'll do anything he can to climb that ladder so he's at the top of his world. Now, Jacob doesn't realise this, but he's about to have the most important struggle of his life in Genesis chapter 32. He's got no idea what's coming, but it's going to be a transformational time in Jacob's life for the rest of his life. A big idea today as we think about that will be this. God patiently strives with us And against us through painful circumstances to ultimately reveal his glorious grace to us. Yes, you did hear it right. God strives with us and against us. Okay, let's pick up the story there again uh, of Jacob to this point of where we are in Genesis. Uh, Jacob has been wheeling and dealing his whole life with anybody just to get a better deal for Jacob. He's happy to take anybody on for a deal. Jacob has deceived his brother Esau twice to push himself ahead in life, twice to get his birthright and the birthright blessing. Jacob's also deceived his father Isaac as well to get a better deal for Jacob. Jacob also has been deceptive and cunning with his uncle Laban whilst looking after all the stock. Uh, he's manipulated the breeding in such a way, if you had read this perhaps in uh, Genesis 31, he's manipulated all the breeding in such a way that he would get a better deal and all the sheep and the stock and the cattle would become his. And then behind the back of Uncle Laban, as he's gathered all this stock, uh, he's made a dash to leave and get away from Uncle Laban and get back to Canaan. Uh, While Laban was miles away shearing the sheep on another farm, Jacob gets the family together and the livestock together, and he makes a run for it. Uh, He's always looking for a better deal. Jacob's whole life has been one of conniving and scheming deceiving and sweet-talking to get a better deal for Jacob. Now, now that's got him into all sorts of strife and and tension. But that's really okay for Jacob. As long as he's getting a better deal and getting ahead in life, he's happy to take on the tension and the strife. That's the sort of guy he is. He likes a struggle, he likes a strife. You might say in today's language he'd rather a fight than a feed, as long as he gets to win the fight. So... Leading up to Genesis 32, we now have Jacob officially farewelled by Laban. Laban has actually caught up with him as he's made this dash and he's actually said, okay, now let's do this properly. They've made a pact together, they're not going to harm each other. And he's officially been farewelled. And if we think about this for a moment, you think, why has Jacob gone back to Canaan? Well, he actually received a word from God in Genesis 31.3. We haven't got that there for you, but if you went back to that, you'll see it in 31.3, God's told him to go back to the land of Canaan. Now now we step into genesis thirty two as we think about that. And the first thing we see here is is a welcoming sign for Jacob. As he arrives at the border of the of Canaan, the land of Canaan, he sees a vision of the angels of God. He exclaims there, you'll read at the start of thirty two, this is God's camp. And if you think about what Jacob has been doing when he was uh, fl- fleeing for his life from Esau back twenty years earlier, He actually saw a similar vision of angels going up and down a ladder as he was leaving the land of Canaan. Now he's actually coming back to the land of Canaan and he's seeing uh, the angels of God here. This is very much a confirmation for Jacob here he's back on track. God is guiding this journey. These are like bookends here of part of this narrative. Also, let me say this about Jacob to help us understand what's going to take place here in Genesis 32. And it's this. Jacob knows about God. Jacob has heard from God. He's already heard from God in chapter 31. Hey, go back to Canaan. So he knows about God. He's heard God. But Jacob has not yet truly met God. Knows about God. He's heard God. But he's not yet truly met God. So Jacob hasn't had this life-changing revelation of who God is. But now he's about to in Genesis 32. And this now sets us up for this pivotal passage here as we're going to deal with today in Genesis uh, 32. The wrestle. Jacob is about to meet God in a way that will change his life forever. And what we'll see here of God in working with uh, Jacob is perhaps a general pattern, the way he uses things to reveal himself to us to bring about deep transformation in our lives as well. See, Jacob's about to wrestle with God and wrestle in a physical way. I'm not sure we're going to be wrestling physically with God, but this is what Jacob did here. So I want us to pick up a few things that we see here um, as we go through this this encounter here that Jacob has with God and what we can learn. First thing we want to see here is that Jacob has a crisis dawning upon him as we come into uh, Genesis 32. He's coming back to Canaan. Now let me ask you, who lives in Canaan? Brother Esau, how did he leave Esau twenty years earlier? It wasn't on good terms. Esau was breathing out threats of murder towards Jacob. He's coming. He's coming back to meet ripped-off brother Esau. Jacob sends messages ahead to greet Esau as a word to maybe just test the waters a bit and see how things are going. The messengers hurry back from meeting Esau and they say, uh, "He's got four hundred men with him and he's heading straight for us." How do you think that made Jacob feel? Well, that puts him into a tailspin of fear. We pick it up in verse 7 and verse 8. It says there this, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Jacob has got a crisis in his life. Everything that he's wheeled and dealed for in all of his life He's thinking is is at risk now of being destroyed and crushed. It's like Esau is coming with an army to settle the score with Jacob once and for all. Twenty years is like done nothing over time to heal this hurt. That's what Jacob's thinking in his mind here. All he can think of is his wives, his children, and a vengeful Esau who's gonna come and just take them out. Jacob is overwhelmed by fear and distress. Anxiety and pressure. Uh, pouring in upon him as he thinks his whole life is coming to this point of potential destruction. The point here is this. A crisis is very often God's way of getting transformation into our lives. A crisis is very often God's way of getting transformation into our life. I read this quote the other day from Tim Keller about this passage and and he said this, this text, in a way that moves, that's more vivid than any other place I know in the Bible, tells us that, in general, God has to wrestle us into a transformed life rather than comfort us into a transformed life. Really important to think about that. God wrestles us into a transformed life other than comforts us into a transformed life, says Tim Keller. God sovereignly ordains hard times or crises in our lives to be used as his instruments to bring about revelation of himself and to work deep transformation into our lives. It's really vitally important to see that behind every bit of pain, behind every bit of distress that comes into your life or my life, that it is God who's directing the right amount of suffering... To come into our lives to achieve his good ends and purposes for us, to transform us, to grow us. Now, that might sound really strange to you if you've heard that for the first time today that God is directing suffering or pain or crises or challenge, he's directing it into my life. You may have thought, well, I thought God only brings good things into my life, you know, and it's the devil who stands behind all this. Drama and challenge and trial and pain. Isn't it? God's doing the good thing and Satan's trying to bring the bad thing into our life. Now, no doubt, the devil does have his God-directed hand in our pain and suffering and challenge, but he can only do what God allows him to do. But it's ultimately God, in his sovereignty, who directs pain and suffering and challenge in our lives to bring about his purposes to change us and to transform us. You see, when we're in the comfort of life, we're in cruise mode. Life's pretty good. I'm feeling pretty happy. The bills are paid. I've got a holiday coming and I've just ordered a new car. Life's a dream. Jacob was probably here maybe a month or so earlier in this. He's got wives. He's got, you've got a Beautiful, gorgeous Rachel, we saw her that last week, and he's got kids, he's got all this stock come out of his ears, he's a rich man, life's pretty good. And when you're like that, you feel like you're on top of the world and you can't see any need for change when you're cruising along like that. Why should I change? Everything's okay. I'm kicking goals and ticking all the boxes. That's how you feel. You don't see the need for change. But pain and crisis are a whole new context for us. It's when things aren't working properly, I begin to feel vulnerable. I start to look outside of myself. I begin to see that I can't do this. I haven't got all my bases covered. I feel exposed. I feel weak. And we begin to see who we really are. Not much at all, in actual fact. Pain's a great thing but to begin to do that in our lives. C.S. Lewis has this other great quote here about pain as well. And he says this, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, says C.S. Lewis. You see, God directs every pain and suffering we go through to achieve his purposes. Even in this crisis here that Jacob is now coming into, we see that beginning to happen in his life. Things are changing in Jacob even right here and now. We won't show it but if you go back and read verses 9 to 12, you'll see this really heartfelt prayer here in Genesis 32 that's beginning to reflect a changed man in Jacob. Instead of this proud, cocky, scheming, striving, struggling, Jacob, actually begins to see a broken and humble man. He's beginning to see that he's not the man he thought he was and he can't do every deal to get his way in life. So what does Jacob do that night? He sends his family across the Jordan River into Canaan and he himself stays back on the other side of the river all alone there. And then with this crisis, now dawning upon him, begins this sleepless night for Jacob. But this will be a sleepless night he will never forget for the rest of his life. Here he is, on the other side of the Jordan River, all alone, to reflect, contemplate about his life, just musing through all the things that he's been perhaps gathering and scheming over the years reflecting on this in the darkness of the night, and then something startles him. From the middle of the darkness, a hand grabs his shoulder and begins to wrestle him, and I mean physically wrestle him. A wrestling match has started. It's pitch black. Jacob can't see who this person is. It's an unknown person at this stage. And we're told that this wrestle goes to the breaking of day. Maybe six, seven, eight, nine hours. Who knows? That's a long wrestling match. But he's now in this crisis, and this crisis now has him wrestling. Here's the second thing I want us to see here as we we look at this passage here in Genesis 32, and it's this. Jacob wrestles alone. Jacob wrestles alone. What does that mean? It means this. It means the challenges and the crises we go through in life... We'll go through them alone. It means we'll engage in this wrestling by ourselves. Just me or just you. Now, don't get me wrong here and say, does that mean community isn't helpful for me anymore? I I don't need community? No, not at all. Exchange Church is all about building community to find strength and encouragement, and we will never discourage that. I would love to see this room where we are today with a 100 people in it. I would love to have community gathering here right now. We're always about walking into community together. But the battles we face in life will be alone. Other people aren't wrestling on my behalf. They may be praying on my behalf, but they're not fighting on my behalf. Think about this. What happens when you walk into the exam room uh, to sit your final VCE tests? Does your private tutor go in there with you? Does your teacher go in there with you? Do your parents go in there with you to sort of sit alongside you and help you with the answers as you sit that test? No. They, all may, they may all help us and support us along the journey, but they don't go into that exam room to sit that final test with us We do that alone. And so it is with the battles that we face in life. We fight those battles alone. And for good reason that we fight alone, because it's here that God God gives a a revelation of himself perfectly suited for us in that context and that situation where we find ourselves. That's why God allows us to come into these wrestles with him alone. The thing I want us to see here in this, as we look at this passage and look at what Jacob's doing, is that when we wrestle, in a sense, we are wrestling with God. You see, if we think about Jacob, he's been wrestling all his life against other people, he thought, and he has, but he thought that's what all his wrestling was about, was just against other people, against his brother, against his father, against his uncle Laban and whoever else he was coming across. But ultimately, ultimately... Jacob was wrestling against God and God's purposes for Jacob's life. And, and it's here that God, as it were, uh, brings all this wrestling to a point to show Jacob exactly this, that Jacob's been choosing his own life and the whole way along he's been wrestling against God and his purposes. And if you, I think Jacob gets this picture here, uh, if we look at verse 25, which we haven't got for again, but if you go ahead and verse 25 there, uh, you can see this. The man that Jacob wrestles with merely touches Jacob's hip. Now, if you look at that in the Hebrew, it's like a, a feather touch. It's like a feather touch on his hip. And immediately with this feather touch, Jacob's hip is dislocated at this point. I think there's a real definite point in this pain, in this crisis, in this hurt, that I believe Jacob realises who he's been wrestling with. He's thinking, we've just wrestled for six hours, struggling, striving and sort of holding each other, and now you've lightly just brushed like a feather past my hip and you've inflicted this major pain on me? I think something's beginning to dawn here in Jacob's mind. He understands it's God that he's been wrestling with. And if it was God that he's been wrestling with, he also understood that he could have crushed Jacob at any instant. God could have quite simply lifted his finger and smacked Jacob right off the planet and launched him into orbit. But God didn't do that. God was doing what he needed to do at this time. But Jacob comes to this realise here in verse 30 it was God. I've seen him face to face. I've been wrestling against God. And and during this touch of his hip, he's had this spiritual awakening to who God is. And I believe it's after that point that Jacob has realised all his struggles in life were indirectly opposed to what God and his purposes had for Jacob's life, wrestling with God. Now, the last thing to think of here as we think about this passage is that Jacob prevailed against God. As we think about that, does that mean Jacob was too powerful for God? Well, I just said God could have lifted his finger and just smack Jacob right off the planet if he wanted to. So no, Jacob didn't overpower God in that sense. Prevailed here means this, that God only exerted the strength he needed to in this wrestle until Jacob had learned what he had to learn at this particular experience. He prevailed with God in that way. Prevail also means this, Jacob didn't give up in the wrestle. He didn't throw in the tail. He didn't just walk on and say, it's all too hard. No, I'm over it. He didn't give up. He hung on for dear life. Actually, Jacob wasn't going to let go no matter what. That's what prevail means there as we see this prevailing. And he did receive a blessing. The blessing being truly meeting God as he prevailed through that wrestle. Now, as we think about Genesis 32 today and we think about what's happening there, how should that look in our lives? Should I, as I said before, should we be looking for some sort of physical wrestling match? Should I, should I wake up tonight at 3 o'clock in the morning and stand outside and wait for God to come and wrestle me? No, I wouldn't think we'd be looking for that at all. Our wrestling will look very different. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to understand you've been wrestling with God all of your life. You haven't submitted to God as the Lord of the universe or your creator or your life giver. Life has been all about you. You're no different to Jacob. And life's all about getting the best deal you can get out of this life. But having said that, there'll be something that maybe just nags away on the inside of you, something that just sort of keeps chipping away on the inside of you. You believe there's some sort of larger power out there And you may feel a twinge of when you do something wrong, of something moral says inside of you, no, I've done the wrong thing, I shouldn't have lied, I shouldn't have stolen. You may feel this twinge of there's something wrong. I do know the sense of right and wrong, particularly when you sin against God and other people. And something whispers inside of you, I want to explore more of this God or this higher power. But then you resist it and you push it away there's like a wrestling going on within you and you're wrestling with God's spirit. There's something that says there is something out there, but then you wrestle and you push that away. Maybe right now as you're listening to this, as you're hearing these words come to you today, you can sense that wrestling inside of you again. I think there is something outside out there, but you, you want to push that away. You're still in that wrestling match. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus has come to me and lay down your life at the foot of the cross and you'll discover who I am, the way and the truth and the life. Come and be saved by a beautiful saviour. Give that wrestle up. If you're a believer, the wrestling still continues for us, but in a different way. Circumstances of life where uncertainty and pain will begin to appear and they'll cause us to begin to doubt God, despair of God perhaps even. Maybe God has brought some sort of sickness or difficult circumstances into your life and you've been cruising along doing okay, thinking, hey, this is all good, but then the doctor gives you some news that you don't really want to hear. You go and get all sorts of prayer for that sickness, whatever it might be, that God would take it away, but God doesn't take it away and you've still got it. Now the doubt and the despair begins to set in. And now what happens is that there's a wrestling in your mind. I thought, God, that you would do this and you would make me well. God, I thought step one, step two, step three, and everything would just fall into place. But it hasn't fallen into place. I thought this about you, God. I thought that about you, God. There's like a wrestle goes on in our mind. What do we believe about God? Here's what God is doing in the midst of that wrestle when that's happening. Could be in the early hours of the morning when you're thinking about life and why things aren't going the way you thought they would go. What's God doing? He's transforming us. He's using his perfect wisdom to bring what needs to be brought into our lives to prepare us for eternity. He may be stripping away things. Not saying he's always doing that, but he may be doing he may be stripping. Uh, away things that we're putting too much confidence into or too much affection towards, thinking my life needs to be built on that. Maybe he's pulling it away from us so that our faith and trust will go back onto him. It's one thing he could be doing. Secondly, I think God does this in this wrestling with us as well. He will use that wrestling for us to be able to help somebody else down the track who's going through a similar wrestling, a similar challenge or a similar experience. It's amazing how God used that in our lives to go and actually strengthen and encourage somebody else in their wrestling over the same thing. There's never a wasted experience at all in God's economy, in God's ways in working with us. You see, God is wrestling with us and God is wrestling against us to reveal himself to us, to transform us in his grace. Let me just close here with this, uh, this hymn that I saw the other day as I was reading through and preparing for um, this talk. It goes like this, and we'll bring it up on the screen for you as well. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face? Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my joys and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue me to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ, from self and pride to set thee free, to break thy schemes of worldly joy, that thou may seek thy all in me. So true, so powerful and so wonderful. Here's the best counsel I can give you in the wrestle that maybe you're going through with the Lord right now. Hang on. Don't let go. Don't throw in the towel. Hang on. Hold on. Cling tight to God no matter how difficult that wrestle may be. And I would say this, Lord, grant us today to wrestle hard after you and to never let go, that we might see you and know you truly as our all. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning to thank you again for the glorious truth we see in Genesis. Father, we thank you. Uh, that you are perfect, you know exactly what is needed and required in our life. And today, Lord, again, as we see this uh, truly significant occasion working in Jacob's life, this wrestling with you, this transforming uh, of Jacob through this wrestling match with you, Lord. And, Lord, you're no different today. You are still working with us in similar ways, transforming us by wrestling with us through challenging circumstances and situations. Lord, today I pray, please, give us the grace as we go through this wrestling to see what you're doing and to be changed and transformed by that, Lord. You're not wrestling us from a negative perspective to crush us, but you're wrestling with us, Lord, to change us and transform us. So as we come out the other side of this, Lord, we come out having a deeper relationship with you. God, I pray today, please help us to continue to see that you are a God who knows the end from the beginning. You know exactly what we need and what's required to work in our lives. So, Lord, today with that wrestling taking place, I ask, uh, please let us be transformed into the image of Christ for his praise and glory, Lord. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.